0: Well, have you ever been reading a book and, no, some people just don't read books. No, don't read books. Well, have you ever been reading a book and had a tough time understanding what the writer was saying? I think it's a common life experience. I think it even happens in, if you haven't read any books, um, you, you at least have this in conversation too, right? You know, you, you, you're wondering, what, what are they saying? Sometimes we have a tough time understanding people. Well, when it comes to literature, my wife Katie, who is a, uh, who was a lit major in college, has told me that in order to understand a book, um, or what's written there, it's really helpful to know who the author was, what their life was like, um, and what sort of things they commonly put into their, um, writing, what sort of themes they commonly like to, um, talk about. And when you know those things, it helps to make sense out of what they've written. Well, we're currently in a series on the book of 1 John, and the writer is John, who was one of the original disciples of Jesus. And to understand him a little better, to appreciate him a little more, I think it's helpful to know some background about him. So so John was a fisherman. He was a fisherman by trade, and he was one of the first people to be called to be a disciple um, by Jesus, called into Jesus' traveling ministry. And Jesus picked out 12 guys who were going to be his um, inner circle in his ministry. They were going to be pa- taking in his teaching and passing it on after he was gone. Well, well John... So, so, so they had, Jesus had 12 disciples, and that's his inner circle. But inside of that, and we learn in the Gospels, that there is an even smaller inner circle. There was, there was three guys who were basically Jesus' closest buddies. And those three guys were Peter, James, and John. And when you look, and you look at many of the New Testament books, and you're often getting an observer's look at the, um, the life of Jesus. Luke, for example, gathered all these um, uh, stories from people who had been there and heard Jesus, but Luke had never been there himself and heard Jesus. But he gathered them all, and they were, they were all reliable, and he put them together in a volume. Mark, similar thing. Mark listened to the preaching of Peter. That's where we get Mark's gospel. He listened to the preaching of Peter and then he wrote it down and, and kept it. and that's, that's Mark's gospel. Well with, with John, we get something special. We get Jesus' teachings from someone who was in his inner inner circle and who knew Jesus' heart. Someone who was not only learning the teachings so that he could repeat it back to others, but someone who was changed day in and day out as he, he traveled and camped out with Jesus um from place to place John was the author of the Gospel of John, as well as these books, 1st, 2nd, 3rd John, and also possibly Revelation. And as we read over his writings in the New Testament, there are a few key themes that just keep coming up. They keep coming up. One of them is the Holy Spirit. John talks a lot about the Holy Spirit. Another one is the fact that Jesus was God in uh, in a human body, that he was God. Um, And the other thing that he frequently, well, one of the other things that he frequently mentions is eternal life. So those are some themes. But one of the ones that I want to highlight today, which is also a key theme for John, is the topic of love. Love. John talks about love a lot. And in the book of 1 John, it is this big theme. And today we're going to be taking a look at chapter 4. If you have a Bible today, I want to encourage you to open up 1 John chapter 4. We We'll also have the verses on the screen, so um, you can follow along. I think it's this portion of the book where John really starts to share some incredibly profound things. And and as we look at what John says, we're going to see that he talks about love differently than we do. When John talks about love, it sounds a little weird. And I think it's because John had this unique vision of love, which he had received from Jesus when they were camping out. So today we're going to look at how to be a loving person. Nobody in the world is going to suggest that we should be hateful people. Nobody, nobody does that. No, everybody knows you want to be loving rather than hateful, right? But, but how, how do you be a loving person? That, I think, is a tougher question. And as we take a look at some of John's profound statements this morning, we're going to find some of the secrets to becoming loving people. And I think we'll also discover how to be loving like Jesus was loving. So that's our question this morning. How to be loving people? And how do we become loving the way Jesus was loving? I think there's three things we need to do to help pave the way for us to live in a lifestyle of love. The first one is that we need to know how important this is to God. Let's take a look at verse 7. Dear friends, let us love one another, for love comes from God. Everyone who loves has been born of God and knows God. Whoever does not love does not know God, because God is love. There's a lot there, I think. I don't know about you, but if you've been reading through John, um, I think if you're like me, you've probably felt a little bit lost at times. Like, what is he saying? Do you ever feel like John is a little bit hard to understand? I, I think so. And, and I, th- I think, if, you know, you can see in the this, this second sentence here, everyone who loves has been born of God and knows God. It's confusing. So, so if Hitler had ever loved, was, is he born of God and knows God? All you got to do is love someone, maybe once. I mean, what, what is that? That's what the sentence seems to say. Anyone who's loved, they've been born of God and knows God. And then there's this third sentence. Take a look at this one. Whoever does not love does not know God. So if we stop loving for a moment, do we cease to know God? You know, do we have to keep loving? Or, and if, if, if we have to keep loving, how much love? You know, does it, uh, you know, one, one, one love every five minutes? How much love in order for us to stay um, in, in, in communion and in fellowship with God? It's not clear, is it? And then there's this other part of the verse that says God is love. I mean, wait, I thought God was a person, not a feeling. God is a feeling? What, what is this? What does this mean? Well, here's a principle that I have found helpful as I have read through the passage this week. Um, I picked up on a pattern. John is using a teaching method when he, um, where, he, where he equates two things in order to make a point about them. He's equating two things. And, these, and so, so you naturally feel this point that he's making, but it's never stated explicitly. So here's how it works. In this passage, he is equating knowing God and being a loving person. And there's a there's a point behind the equation. He's saying knowing God equals being a loving person. That's what he says at face value. But there's a point behind that, and and that is the real point. It's never stated stated explicitly. But he, essentially, he's saying people who know God are loving people, and people who are not loving people, well, they they really don't know know God because because you know this is this is who God is. And the point is not to make a precise statement. It's the, po- the point is to um, look at your own life and to realize that being a loving person is a natural consequence of having an encounter with God. So, so, here's, so take this other statement. God is love. God equals love. Now, when John says God is love, he's not becoming new age. He's not saying, you know, the tree is God and the earth is God and uh, love is God and happiness is God. That's, that's not what he's doing. He's not becoming new age. He's equating God and love in such a way as to say love is the essential character, character trait of God. It's the essential character trait of God. There's this equating, but the, the point is not the equating. The point is the, the point behind it. And that's the real point. So when John talks about love, he's showing us how important it is by saying it's the natural consequence of knowing God, and it's the central character trait of God. And if you don't have it, you better question your own connection to God. It's that important. It is so naturally essential. And this is just one spot. This topic of love is all over John's writings. And uh, where do you think he got this emphasis? Where do you think John got the emphasis on love? I'm telling you, he got it from Jesus. Jesus was the one who told us we are not to love just our friends. We're supposed to love our enemies and our neighbors and everyone. And it was Jesus who said the most important commandment was to love God. And the second most important commandment was to love other people. That was Jesus. Love was really, really important to Jesus, and it was really important to John, and it became um, important to the early church. The whole New Testament is filled with these people who have a high value on this thing, love. Think about Paul. Did he have anything to say about love? 1 Corinthians 13, here's what he said. If I speak in the tongues of men or of angels, but do not have love, I am a resounding gong or a clanging cymbal. If I have the gift of prophecy and can fathom all mysteries and all knowledge. And if I have faith that can move mountains, but do not have love, I am nothing. If I give all that I possess to the poor and give over my body to hardship that I may boast, but do not have love, I gain nothing. And then he goes on to say, now these three remain, faith, hope, and love. And the greatest of these is love. Love was a big deal for the early church, big deal for Paul, John, Jesus, you know, the early church, when they would get together, they would uh, call it a love feast. How do you like that? A love feast. So like, so we get we're having a potluck this Friday, right? So they would say, Hey, come on out to our love feast. We're going to have a love feast this Friday. That's, that's what they would say. And, uh, that it was part of their culture. Love is a big deal in the Christian faith And when we see that the most important commandments were to love God and love other people, what we realize is essentially the measure of how good a Christian we are can really come down to the substance of our love. Love is really, really important. Real Christian love is difficult, too. And so if we want to be loving people, we're going to need to first be convinced of how important this is to God. Love is essential to the Christian life. It is equated with the Christian life. The second thing we're going to have to do is we need to discard some old definitions and embrace a biblical view of love. So in our culture and in in the English language, um, love is a feeling, right? That's that's how we think of love in our culture. Um, Our dictionary definitions are filled with these words, have affection for. Um, You know, anything you love is something you have affection for. It's a feeling. Um, And in in our culture, love is also often romantic, isn't it? Now, romantic love is a type of love. But when we are talking about Christian love, we are not talking about a feeling. As Christians, we are commanded to love. How can you be commanded into a feeling? Is God telling us to go in our rooms and sit and think and feel and feel and feel until, yes, got it. I felt it. I, I, I now love my neighbor. I, I love him. I just felt it. Um, love my neighbor. Sure. Got it. No, no, no. Of course not. As Brian talked about last week, Christian love is concrete actions love. It's a great term for thinking about what Christian love is supposed to be like. Concrete actions love. I feel like we also have to clarify that Christian love is not just good works. It's not just, I've done a good thing here, now I'm a loving person. I've, I've served at the soup kitchen, I've helped an old lady carry groceries once, I, I'm, I'm a loving person now. I, I did that. Christian love is more than a good deed here or there. Christian love is a lifestyle. John gives us a pic- picture of Christian love in verse 10. This is what he says, this is love. Not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. Love is like what Jesus did on the cross. And the examples that we have in the New Testament surrounding the topic of love show us how to live it out, not how to sit and feel. How to live it out. Concrete actions, love. Now, here's where we're going to get practical. Uh, To set the scene a little bit, um, I want to give you some verses from the New Testament um, to see what it means to love. So here's our first verse. Love is patient. This is 1 Corinthians 13. Love is patient. Love is kind. It does not envy. It does not boast. It is not proud. It does not dishonor others. It is not self-seeking. It is not easily angered. It keeps no record of wrongs. Love does not delight in evil, but rejoices with the truth. It always protects, always trusts, always hopes, always perseveres. It's a description of Christian love. Here's another one. You, my brothers and sisters, were called to be free. But do not use your freedom to indulge the flesh. That's the sinful nature in us. Rather, serve one another humbly in love. So love is serving other people. That's that's one t- one way to love. Um, next next one. Um, love your enemies, and pray for those who persecute you. Another example of love. Um, praying can be love. You know, there's these two verses, these two statements are related. So praying can be a type of love. Um, And then lastly here, Philippians 2. um, Therefore, if you have any encouragement from being united with Christ, any comfort from his love, um, if any common sharing in the spirit, if any tenderness and compassion, then make my joy complete by being like-minded, having the same love, being one in spirit and of one mind. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit, Rather, in humility, value others above yourselves, not looking to your own interests, but each of you to the interests of others. If you have been comforted by the love of Christ, then do the same to others. Value others above yourselves. Look not to your own interests, but to the interests of others. Now, this idea of valuing others above ourselves has been a helpful principle for me as I have tried to understand and live out Christian love. What is happening when one person loves another person with Christian love? What's happening there? Are they seeking to make them happier? And if they've made them happier, then they've loved them? Is that what it is? Are we trying to better their lives? And as long as their life has experienced benefit then then we we have loved them what is at the core of love of christian love what's happening there now i want to warn you here that i'm going to get a little philosophical um i I know some people really do not like philosophical stuff so that's why I'm, i'm warning you um so please bear with me um i want you to bear with me because we're going to go through the philosophical stuff to get to the practical stuff and the practical stuff is of course what's most important And so I'm wanting to show you, what what I'm doing here is I'm wanting to show you how big things are real love and little things are also real Christian love too. And the reason I'm doing this is because what can often happen is we we talk about love as we define it by the cross. And that's a great place to start. The cross of Jesus Christ, the defining perfect um, action of love that has ever been, been done but, but what, what, what we struggle with is relating that to our day-to-day lives. And I think what often happens is we go home, we say, well, I'm, I'm trying to give up my life for someone else. Okay, I've got to do that. So we go home, and then we are looking for an opportunity to give up our lives um, as a sacrifice for someone else. And, and those opportunities just don't come around that often, do they? I mean, that's, that's, a, that's a great way to love. But that's just not something that we experience in day-to-day life. So how do we love in day-to-day life? That's what I want to, I want to talk about. Um, and what I want to show you today is how you can live your life giving up your life every single day. So bear with me. We are going to get somewhere with this. I think love is very much tied to the value that we give things. The value we give things. When we think about things that we love or th- and then things that, think about these things that we value... We have these feelings of affection because they are important to us. And the way I like to think about Christian love is value transfer. Here's what I mean we all have a need, a longing, a desire for significance in life. Everyone has that need. We want to be valuable, we pursue value in lots of different ways. Men, women seek to be beautiful, men seek to be um, strong. We seek to be good at our careers. We, we want to be known as the funny guy or the smart guy or the athletic guy, etc., etc. And when people notice these things in us, or when they say, hey, you're really good at this, we feel valuable. And there's nothing wrong with this. This is how we are made. We long to be valuable, to be significant, to be worth something. Well, when you love on someone, you are giving them a part of of your value and here's an example let's say bill gates um, came into your workplace and uh you know bill gates is a real smart guy founder of microsoft etc and uh he's he's they're giving him a tour around and he comes by your desk and he happens to notice what you're working on and he says "Ooh, look at this wow this is this is really good work you're you're very smart you would feel very blessed by this because um bill gates is a very smart guy and bill gates is important in our minds because he is smart And by recognizing you, he's just made you more important. He's transferred some of his value into your life. If a little kid said the same thing, it would would be nice, but it wouldn't have the same impact, would it? You see, when you serve someone, you are telling them, "You you are important. You are so important that I would gladly give up my time to serve you. That's what you're doing when you serve someone. So let's take a look at at some of the ways this practically um, occurs in our lives. My favorite example is names. I think it's important to remember people's names. I think it's a way that we uh, show them love and show them that they're important to God. So let's say that Ronald Reagan's son came into church one day. It can be um, Michael Jordan's son, any celebrity son. Let's say somebody's, somebody's son came, came into church. We're going to go with Ronald Reagan. And uh, you introduce yourself to this stranger you've never, never met before. And, you, and, and he says, I'm, I'm so-and-so, and I'm, I'm one of Ronald Reagan's kids. And you're like, oh, wow, you're Ronald Reagan's son, are you? Wow, that's cool. Thanks for, thanks for visiting us. Thanks for coming out here. Um, it's nice to meet you. The auditorium's down this way. And, and uh, here, let me introduce you to some people. And, um, and you would do that. You'd introduce some people, you know, help them find a seat in the auditorium. Now, that night, do you think you'd forget his name? How about the next day? I don't I don't think you'd forget his name And the reason I don't think you'd forget his name because is he's tied to ronald reagan and ronald reagan is important Michael jordan's son whoever's son See we naturally remember the names of people that we deem important think of all the celebrity names You can name off lots of lots of people can remember these celebrity names They have never even met these people So remembering someone's name is a way for us to show them that we think they are important by the way, I, I am uh, recognizing that I may forget somebody's name here this morning, so so <laughs> cut me some slack, give me some grace. Um, I am really trying to remember everyone's name. Um, have some grace for me. Uh, so so here's another form of loving people. Sitting along the walls. There's some people in here who week after week intentionally sit in the worser spots. and uh, <laughs> And they do this because... They want other people to have the better ones. And it's nice. It's not nice to sit along the wall. You know, you're right up against that wall. There's not a lot of space. And you're kind of trapped in there. You can't go to the bathroom. I mean, it's, 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 these, these are forms of love. Um, Same same thing as like parking away, far, far out, you know, way on the other side of the gravel parking lot. Some people do that. It's a form of love. They're making other people more important than themselves by being deferential. Smiling at people and paying attention to people is a form of love. Mother Teresa used to say, every time you smile at someone, it is an action of love. A gift to that person, a beautiful thing. When you pay attention to people, you are telling them that they are important. When you don't pay attention to people, you are telling them they are not as important as the thing you are paying attention to. Paying attention to people and smiling at people is a form of love. Remember that Philippians verse. It says, value others more than yourselves. Look not to your own interests, but to the interests of others. So the examples I've just mentioned are all easy ones, okay? These are all easy ones. Not everyone has to park in the back. Not everyone has to be a name wizard. They're just just one way to show love. But let's get into some harder ones. Let's get into some harder ones. Love means caring for someone's development and being attentive to someone's development. Love means protecting people, protecting people from real danger and also protecting them from pitfalls in life. Love means giving your time and attention to someone. In conversation, it means to be interested in someone's life, asking them about their lives instead of just always talking about our own lives. You give them your full attention. Love means being thoughtful. And love is a skill that we have to develop. You have to work at it for it to become second nature. There's a story about a woman. Um, I think she maybe was a reporter who had the opportunity to have a sit-down meal with two past presidents. A really unique opportunity. And... Um, and so she met, with, she met um, for dinner with these two presidents, and after she had met with them, um, she made a really pointed observation um, to privately to one of her friends. And she said this. After having dinner with the first president, she felt like she had just met and talked with perhaps the greatest person in the world. But after meeting with the second president... She felt like she was the greatest person in the world. That's the difference between love and pride. Love is where we make others more important, pride is where we make ourselves more important. Pride is self love. Gary Chapman, who is a Christian, who is a, is a Christian marriage counselor, developed the five love languages, and I think these are a really helpful tool for loving people. Um, he says that there are five ways that t- people typically feel loved. They are words of affirmation, quality time, gifts, service, and physical touch. Five, five ways. That, that people typically feel loved. And what he found in counseling is that people tend to feel loved in most especially in one or two of these. And, and so, so the way this plays out is if your spouse's love language is quality time, a gift is just not going to mean as much on her birthday as just being there with her. Or vice versa. If if her if her, her love language is gifts, then then you know you better get her a gift. <laughs> um, um so <laughs> <laughs> oh, so she wants the gifts anyway, even if her love language isn't gifts. <laughs> so, so, but, so here's how it works. So you, you, you kind of have to be attentive to how someone uniquely feels love. And, and you love them um, the way they're, going to mo- they're most likely to, um, to feel it and appreciate it. And if you have a marriage that struggles at all, if you aren't familiar with these five love languages, I would highly, highly, highly recommend this book. Um, if we want to develop our love skills, I think we've got to get better at loving each other with each of these five love languages. I think it's going to be really helpful. I would argue that the hardest place, though, to love is in our homes. So much of our love is for the purpose of being seen by others. But in the privacy of our homes, only God and the people who live there know how much loving we're we're doing. Here's another quote from Mother Teresa. We think sometimes that poverty is only being hungry and naked and homeless. The poverty, poverty of being unwanted, unloved, and uncared for is the greatest poverty. We must start... In our own homes to remedy this kind of poverty start in our own homes if you want to have a good measurement of your love how loving you are start with your home life if you want to practice being more loving start with your home life marriage marriage is a great place to practice love why because it is one of the most difficult when your spouse has repeatedly asked you to change something that is hurtful or neglectful, and you know it's against every fiber of your being to accommodate them, do you, do you stop and say, their needs are more important than my tendencies? Or do you say internally, I just, I just can't do this? Truthfully, are you saying, I, can't, I just can't do this? Or are you really saying, they aren't important enough for me to do this? Is it possible that we're saying, my comfort is more important? Marriage is a tough place to love. In marriage, we hurt each other, and yet we must still love. You can apply this in marriage, you can apply this with your kids, you can apply it with homeless people, you can apply it with people who annoy you, you can apply it at work, in the car, anywhere. Ask yourself, who is becoming more important by my actions, me or them? The question we need to ask ourselves more often is this, how do you show someone that they have value in God's eyes? How do you show them that? And when you figured out the answer to that question, you have figured out how to love that person with Christian love. Since love is the highest uh, Christian virtue, I've been trying to teach it to my kids. And I will never forget the time we were at the dinner table and we had a really powerful learning experience. Um, Micah had been uh, learning how to ride a bike and he was getting really good at it You know, there's a special time he had learned how to ride his bike and at the dinner table He was sharing with us how fast he could ride his bike. I mean he could ride it really 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 fast And uh, as he was just, you know sharing this with us um, Abram piped in and said that he could ride even faster <laughs> and um, and and so so we were moving on and, and and then Micah went on to say how he could let go with one hand when he was riding, and then Abram piped in and said he could let go with two hands when he was riding. And um, despite our attempts to stop Abram from raining on Micah's parade, he just kept butting in with these comments. And I mean, is this is this, is this unfamiliar to you guys? I think you've probably had this experience. This is a common common life experience. Now, I had been teaching Abram about making other people more important than himself. And we've been trying to think of ways that he could do that at school. And so far, the only things we had come up with um, were letting people go first to get a drink of water at the water fountain and um, and letting people have the nice scissors um, in class. <laughs> and I, I thought those were pretty good. I mean, you, you know, the bad scissors, that's love. You know, that's love. <laughs> the bad scissors, um, so, so I began to explain that what he was doing here was the opposite of love. Instead of trying to make Micah more important and celebrating what he could do, he was, he was trying to make himself more important. He was trying to take value in, rather giving it out. And we went over this over and over again, until he, he finally was getting it. I mean, he was understanding this principle... And as he began to understand, his eyes began to well up with tears. And I said, Abram, why are you feeling so sad? And in his sobbing voice, he said, if I'm always trying to make other people more important, who is going to make me more important? His tears were the deepest tears because they tore into this core need that he had, this core need that we all have, the need to be valuable and significant. He understood the principle perfectly, and he carried it out to its logical conclusion. If I am always giving away value, I will end up valueless. Where will my value come from? I explained to Abram that I am the one makes him more important. And his father loves him just the way he is. And this is what you need to understand about your father. He loves you, not because you are good at this or that, not because you are better than someone else, not because of anything you have done or will do. It doesn't depend on you. It depends on his character, his love for you. And his love is limitless. It is overflowing with love for you. He is your source of love and value in life. Do you know? Do you know? I want to ask you today. Do you know how much he loves you? How deep it is? How profound? How it goes on and on every day. Every moment of every day. Do you know it? Is it, is it part of your core? Is it who you are? Is it, is it right in front of your face? How, how valuable you are to God. How much he loves you i know we've gotten away from the passage a little bit here but this is where it comes in so strong and these things don't make sense unless you understand love the way john understood love and the way jesus taught him to understand love verse 19 says this we love because he first loved us you see christians don't love people with their own value Christians love with the value they have been given by God. God's plan is not for you to just tell people they're good at dancing or running or uh, that they have nice hair or give them empty compliments to help them feel better about themselves. Our love is a cheap imitation compared to God's love. You see, Christians receive God's love into their own lives, and then they pour out His love into the lives of other people. It goes down. It's, this is the image you should have. Down, out. It starts with God, it goes into our lives, and it goes out through us. Christian love is showing people how important they are to God. And you can only do that if you know how important you are to God. Take a look at how these verses begin to make more sense when you realize that God's desire is to love through us. Take a look at verse 12. If we love one another, God lives in us and his love is made complete in us, This verse makes a lot more sense when you realize that God's love is an extension of himself because because it's so much his character trait. It's an extension of himself. He inhabits his love and his love is made complete. It finds its fulfillment when we pass it on to other people because it's his nature to love and he wants to love people exponentially through us. Take a look at verse 7. It says love comes from God. Now, if you take a look at that, doesn't love come from all sorts of places? It comes from you, it comes from me, it comes from him, her. Love comes from from lots of places. No, real love, the only love that really means anything, comes from God. Because he being God is the source of all significance that there really is in life. Nothing has value apart from the value that God gives it. No doubt you have heard about people getting uh, burned out from volunteer service. This is kind of a thing we're, we're familiar with. So-and-so got burned out. They were serving too much. There's this mis- common conception that people get burned out because they are just serving too much. I don't think it's true because there are lots of people who serve a ton and never get burned out. And I would argue that people don't get burned out from serving too much but People don't get burned out from serving too much, but rather people get burned out when they serve from a place other than God's love. They've been serving with their own love, and it's, it's well-intentioned, but when they don't have any more to give, they feel worthless. When we serve with God's love, we can serve on and on and on because his love is infinite and limitless. God lives in his love, and our love should merely be an extension, a passing on of God's love. This has a few important implications. First, it demonstrates why love is supernatural. I don't know if you realize that. Love is supernatural. If you would like to have supernatural powers, I'm telling you today, it is at your fingertips. It is at your fingertips. God's love is the most powerful spiritual gift. You know that passage we read earlier about love is patient, love is kind? It is sandwiched right in between a discussion on spiritual gifts. What Paul does is he lists out these giftings and he said that God gives people. These giftings that God people. He talks about prophecy, healing, miracles. And then he says, all these things are great, but let me show you an even better way. Love is the spiritual gift that carries the most power because God inhabits his love and is able to love people through you. And where God is, supernatural change is bound to occur. There's a second second implication of God loving others through us. Because, because his love doesn't depend on the lovableness of the person, and instead depends on who God is, we can love our enemies, we can love the unlovable. It doesn't matter who they are, it doesn't matter how they treat us. God loves them so much, and he's going to break through those barriers of our love that our love can't pass through if we will just let him he will love them through us your love must flow out of god's love for you so we're a vineyard church right and the name vineyard is traced back to this teaching of jesus Um, anybody let's anybody know where it's coming from John 15, there you go. Um, John 15, this is, where, this is where our name comes from. Um, I don't know if you knew this. Uh, he says that he is the vine and we are the branches. That's, that's, the, that's the verse. He's the vine, we're the branches. And he says this, If you abide in me and I in you, you will bear much fruit. But apart from me, you can't bear any fruit. And then he goes on to say, Abide in my love. It's a curious way to talk about love, isn't it? Abide in my love. Live in my love. It's like there's a part of us that wants to say, Jesus, it's feel my love. Feel my love, Jesus. You know, not live in it. Love is a feeling. It's an intangible thing. You can't be inside of it. It's love, you know, feel my love. No, he says abide in my love. It's a very different way of talking about love. You see, if we want to bear... Fruit in our lives, we have to be sitting smack dab in the middle of God's love for us, and it is only when we are connected to God's love for us, connected to the vine, that we can be pouring out His love into the lives of other people. And I am convinced. I mean, I'm I'm saying this with all seriousness. I am convinced that this is the secret to life. I I think I think it's the secret to to the successful Christian life. You have to know God's love for you if you're going to be able to pour it out into the lives of other people. God's love must become everything. It must become your identity. And this is a teaching that John, our writer here, this is a teaching that he lived out. Have you ever noticed um, in the Gospel of John, he keeps mentioning this disciple whom Jesus loved. Remember that? You read through, disciple whom Jesus loved. At the Last Supper, it says, the disciple whom Jesus loved was reclining next to him. It never says his name, does it? The disciple whom Jesus loved called out to Peter. Did you ever wonder who that was? It was John. That's how John refers to himself. Now, Jesus didn't love John more than the others. He loves everyone infinitely. What was different about John is that he understood how much Jesus loved him. He understood how incredible it was. It became his identity. He wasn't John, the only living disciple of Jesus, left. He wasn't wasn't John, the authority on the teachings of Jesus and this great pillar of the church. He wasn't John, the miracle worker. In his heart of hearts, he was just a disciple whom Jesus loves. The more we understand God's love for us, the more we are free to live the Christian life and pour out his love into the lives of other people. And if you would like to get to that place that John got to, where God's love for you is your identity. I have two suggestions. These are my two suggestions. First, you need to start at the cross. Because that is, that is his perfect act of God's perfect act of love for us. It is profound. You'll never plumb the depths of how much love God had for you when he came, gave himself, let himself die on the cross for you. The second suggestion is that you have to notice God's love all around you. You have to have eyes of faith to see how God is loving you all the time. God is loving on you all the time. Let's go ahead and stand.